1: And I believe that that's really why you're here. Christ died for us. History Makers. Hi and welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Today we're speaking with Dan Smith from the Gold Coast. He's an Olympic athlete, great swimmer. And we're going to hear a bit of his story today. Firstly, let's find out a bit of your background, mate. Where were you born and raised?
0: Uh, Hi, everyone. Yeah, it's really awesome to be on the radio station. I think it's pretty cool. I was born in Sydney I'm in Borkham Hills. I still follow the blues, which is pretty funny sometimes. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like it's it's it was great growing up there. I lived there for about six months and then moved to the Gold Coast, and I've lived on the Gold Coast ever since.
1: Okay, mate. And tell us a bit about your, your family life. Did you have like a religious upbringing at all?
0: No, not at all. Um, I was pretty anti-God. Um, I've been introduced to a lot of different things like Buddhism and all that kind of stuff along the way. Um, but my parents, oh, I grew up in like quite a wealthy household. My parents worked really hard for their um, finances, um, and so I was very spoiled growing up. Um, and yeah, for me, growing up, you know, um, was was really great. Like I grew up in quite a stable household, and and yeah, I guess we can talk a bit more about that soon.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd love to know a bit about your uh, your sporting career as well. How did you first get into swimming?
0: Well, my parents actually owned an outboard marine dealership. They sold Yamaha outboards, and um, my dad and my mum thought that it would be a good reason that I learned to swim, and so they put me in swimming lessons, and I just had such a natural gift and ability for the water through my, um, that was at five years old, they put me in swimming lessons, but my parents couldn't keep me out of the water, and then the coaches started to see that I had a real natural feel and talent for the water, and then naturally I just started progressing through the squads, and um, before I knew it, I was starting to win medals at the age of seven, and um, yeah, swimming just started to become pretty natural to me.
1: And you were compared to Ian Thorpe as a teenager, uh, and you really did, uh, you know, rise through the ranks. Tell us a bit about some of the highlights of your career.
0: Um, When I was 13 years old, or it's actually quite funny, when I was 10, my dad, I was quite skinny and little compared to some of the other kids in my age group. So my dad taught me to work really hard, um, which was too much, too young. Um, I was naturally working really hard. I was doing um, up to eight sessions a week. I was training with Grant Hackett here on the Gold Coast um, at Miami at the age of 13. Um, And when I was 13 years old, I won six gold and two silver at the national titles. And I was actually fortunate enough to break Ian Thorpe's Australian 200-metre freestyle record. So you can imagine what life was like for me at a young age. And then when I was 14, I won eight gold and two silver. And that's still to today one of the most gold medals won in history. Um, but for me, it was too much too soon. And I started to actually get over the sport by the age of 14. And so the next the next few years, like I naturally progressed and got better. But I never actually fully reached my capability and my potential because I really lacked being grateful and appreciating how good I actually was at it and also focusing a lot on my character and allowing swimming to develop that as well.
1: And tell us about your time at the Olympics.
0: Um, so, yeah, I was 2016 Rio Olympics. I was able to fulfill my lifelong dream. Um, I went to the Olympics and was lucky enough to come away with a fourth place as well, which at the time I didn't actually enjoy because, um, you know, we all want to win a medal. But for me, I was able to learn some pretty cool lessons out of Olympics and, you know, really do some work on my identity over the last three years, which has been pretty, well, it has been extremely powerful as well.
1: And you turned your back on sport uh, during five years of drug addiction. Tell us how life spiraled out of control for you.
0: Well, I was um, number one in Australia at 18, which was 2009. Um, I was number one in Australia at 18, which was a long time coming. I probably should have been as good as. What I was then at probably 15, but I just was really distracted with my personal life. I started binge drinking when I was 13 years old, when I was in grade eight at school. Um, and then when I was 18 years old, I had a drink driving car accident. And I was doing 200 kilometres an hour in a high speed police chase down the main street of the Gold Coast. And I flipped my car front to end. I crashed, flipped my car front to end three times and went through a brick wall and into a house with two of my best mates in the car. Um, that was six weeks after I'd won my Open Australian title. Um, for me, that moment um, is what you would call a defining moment. Um, you know, probably any normal human being would have decided to turn their life around from that moment. Um, but I ended up getting put in lockup, and I was in there for three days. And when I came out, all the news crews were there because I was obviously high profile. And I didn't know how to confront any of that stuff. I didn't know how to deal with the shame the guilt, the humiliation and the embarrassment that the media um, put on me. So I started getting into the drug industry and I started before I knew it, I was smoking marijuana. Um, I was into cocaine and started dealing drugs. I was in with the bikies and started working my way through the drug um, industry, trying to fill a void that no matter what I did, that void would never be fulfilled. And so I searched through that lifestyle for for five years.
1: And tell us a bit about how you got set free from the addictions.
0: Well, I'd had had about seven cracks at rehab. I was actually an ice addict um, addicted to ice and heroin. Um, And I was into the IV use as well. Um, No matter how many times I tried rehab, they they literally told my family that your son's too far gone. We can't help your son. That's, That's what I was told. That was my label. I'd been locked in the mental health ward for up three weeks at a time and they told me that my brain function would never come back. So for me, I had no hope and I ended up becoming homeless living on the street at the end of the five, four and a half years it was. And I realized the damage I'd started to do, and I remember I reverse charge call my dad and he actually helped me get back to where he was because I was homeless at the time. And he ended up setting up a meeting. A guy ended up ringing us and setting up a meeting. And we ended up going to this building in Circus Paradise. It was an intervention. And we didn't know at the time, but it said Jesus on the side of the building. And I didn't know anything about God. I didn't know that God loves me. I didn't know anything about that. And we, I didn't know it was on the building at the time either. We went into this room and there was this big bikey guy in there. And he happened to have God squad on the back of his jersey. And we walked into this room, and I started pouring out all my life. I'm going through this, and I got this going on, and I got that. And this is all he said. He didn't preach the gospel to me. He didn't do it. He didn't do any of that stuff. He just said, "I've had a rehabilit. I've been clean for 17 years. I've got a rehabilitation program that transforms people's lives. We can help you, bro." And that was the first time my whole life that I'd been told that. And so I ended up going to rehab, and I thought I was going to a luxury rehabilitation program. And I rocked up this rehab, and there was um, bunk beds and rules and Bible study and people going to church, and I couldn't work out what was wrong with these people. They were happy, they were full-blown criminals that were turning their lives around, and I've never seen people change. And so I couldn't believe how much they loved me because I was so unlovable. And these people just genuinely loved me for who I, for who I could be, and I was just so overwhelmed by the love in that place. Um, so, yeah, that was my rehabilitation um, process. With me coming to faith, I was quite stubborn. Um, about a month into the program was my court case. I had a two-and-a-half-year jail sentence hanging over my head. When I went to the court, my brother's in the house. They said, oh, can we pray for you? And I was like, yeah, like, I'll take whatever I can get. They all were nice to me. They put their hands on me, and I went to and, – and they prayed for me and said some nice things, and – I went to court and my lawyer pulled me aside and he said, Dan, like two years jail today is a good sentence. Like that was our minimum sentence. And so anyway, I've gone into the courtroom and as i walked in, I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know anything. And I said, God, if you're real, I want one more chance at my life. I promise I won't let you down. And that's what I said. I walked into the courtroom and the prosecutor's on my right and he starts reading out all the stuff I'd done you done this to this person, you done that to that person. And as that's happening, I started to get these goosebump feeling all over my body. And the best way to describe it would be love. And I just started to feel this remorse and sympathy and empathy. And I was so sorry for everything that I'd done to people. And anyway, long story short, the court case kept going on. The judge gave me a serving and he goes three months jail for this, four months jail for that, three months for this. and all added up to two years. And he goes, but I'm going to suspend you today, Mr. Smith, and I never want to see you again. And the judge let me off. Wow. So that was pretty powerful. Um, I still didn't give my life to Christ. I went back to rehab and started learning more about myself. And then I was in a meeting one day, and I was seeing people's lives change. I saw miracles. I saw so many amazing things. I saw people's lives getting redeemed. And I just couldn't deny God anymore. And then I started to get educated on salvation and. What that looks like and then before I knew it I gave my life to Christ and it felt so good I did it four weeks in a row. I was up on the altar <laughs> kept giving my life to God because I didn't actually know what I'd done, it just felt amazing.
1: Yeah. And
0: so yeah, my life's been redeemed. It's been restored. Um, I'm now six and a half years clean. Um never been back to it. Um, you know, yeah, my life's been amazing.
1: What was the rehab called?
0: It was called transformations. Mm-hmm. Rehabilitation centre. I'm not sure if you heard of it.
1: I have. Are you still connected to them?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We still uh, try and get some people in there a lot, and they're still doing great things, which is amazing.
1: Mm, yeah, I've met a few guys over the years that have been through transformations, and you know they're they're, they're renowned for being very strict. Did you find that was the case?
0: <laughs> that was strict, but you need it. Yeah. Because you're used to living an undisciplined life and a self-centered and a self-willed life, so they they try and bring correction in. So then, when you actually go back out into the real world, um, you know you you got good boundaries and stuff. And I, I my hat goes off to the program. You know, some things you do agree with, some things you don't. But I'm a walking testimony that the program works, and I've seen uh, seen a, a lot of other people's lives transformed and redeemed as well.
1: And and what's life like for you nowadays, mate?
0: I'm still swimming now. The last three years has been pretty tough in my swimming. Um, you know, God's really done a lot of work in my identity because I've always had a real performance-based identity, which, um, you know, is another message for another day. But I've actually had to spend a lot of time on learning who I am without the stuff. And that's a quite a painful process um, for me. I've just had to really discover my identity without the sport and without the stuff and you know, for me, um, God's proven himself more real to me in those times because normally I'd run away and and now that I'm still standing here clean today, I've been through probably some of the toughest things I've had to face in the last three years and I'm still standing here today, which goes to prove that, you know, I am anchored to something secure. I am anchored to something that loves me, that is proud of me, that is pleased with me. And I've just started to be transformed and restored in my identity. And now I'm able to give that back to other people. I've seen a lot of people get out of the drug um, industry. I've seen a lot of people's lives transformed. I'm able to sit with high-profile people a lot and share the gospel to them and and just share hope. Because just because you have um, high accolades or a lot of success, it doesn't mean that you're any more of a whole person than someone else that you would consider normal if that makes sense as well. So it's been quite amazing. I've been used a lot for, by by God, which has been amazing. And, yeah, I'm super excited for my future.
1: And I know that you get the opportunity to share your message at different events and, uh, you know, wherever you travel. What, what's the heart of the message you're bringing?
0: Um, I think definitely hope and that, like, I think I try and steer people away from the prosperity gospel, which is all about doing good to get good. Um, I think, like, I've actually learned to know God, like, just because things aren't going the way that I want them to doesn't mean God loves me any less because God actually disciplines the people he loves. So I've had to get this revelation of God to help help other people understand because I think people, when they go through tough times, they start to blame God or get resent God or think that something's wrong with them. But it's actually fire is what purifies us. And so I've had to learn, I had such a bad mentality, so I've had to relearn that mentality and now I teach people the same thing and also teach people what salvation is and what that looks like so people's lives can actually be transformed and restored um, and people don't just think it's an emotional experience.
1: And I know you're a busy guy, you've got a lot on your plate, but I'm curious about your private, personal time with God. What what do you do for your daily devotions?
0: Um, I think that sometimes you can make it a religious duty like oh, i'll set aside 15 minutes here 15 minutes there where god just wants us to fall in love with him just like any relationship in the flesh the more we get to know them the person whether it's a girlfriend whether it's a friend the more we want to talk to them the more we'll be open with them the more we'll be vulnerable and that's the same with me for god i just start to be more aware of him and start to talk to him more and start to open up and Through that process, I'm learning to trust him more and also learn to hear his voice. And I get in the word most days. I, I don't do it as a religious actor. I just do it because I want to know, know God and fall more in love with him. And through that process, um, the junks really started to come out of my life and I'm started to think clearer and just to be a healthier and more whole human being. And, um, yeah, that's my goal at the moment.
1: Well, Dan, it's been so good to hear your story. I remember seeing an article in the Gold Coast Bulletin that said, Swimmer Dan Smith resurfaces after trip to hell and back. And uh, I know many people have been uh, reading these articles and, and hearing your testimony, and I really believe God's going to use you to reach more people with this message of hope and the love of God that you're bringing. Uh, Dan, I reckon you're a history maker. Thanks for joining us. bringing the love and light of Christ into many people's lives around the world. Make history today by joining our friends at Bible League and planting a Bible that will help someone meet Jesus. Go to bl.org.au. Station sponsor.
0: Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.